Well, it is May 20th, 2020, here on Theology Matters, where we discuss biblical, theological, apologetic, social, and church-related issues from a biblical world view. Today we are going to be discussing a pretty hot topic, uh, specifically among evangelical Christians, conservative evangelical Christians. And I will be up front, I am a conservative evangelical Christian within the Reformed tradition. So I have a little bit of skin in the game, so to speak, on this issue. And I just want to help my brothers and sisters in Christ uh, look through this from a biblical, a biblical standpoint, not an emotional standpoint, uh, not even from an American uh, mindset, but from a biblical worldview. What does God have to say about Christians and civil government? So that's exactly what we're going to do today. Uh, we're going to specifically be in Romans chapter 13 today, verses 1 through 7. And uh, But there will be some other text brought up during our time that also discuss this issue. But this is the big text. This is what we would call the clobber text that people love to use when it comes to uh, how Christians should live uh, within the context of their civil governments. So Romans 13 verses 1 through 7, and I'll read those for us. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. And you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for you, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pray to all what is owed to them. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So Paul tells us in Romans 13 here 
that governing authority was God's idea and that it was actually established by God. This doesn't mean, of course, that all government is godly. We know this to be true, um, practically speaking. Obviously, all governments and all government authority is not godly. But God established the principle to bless, to protect, and to prosper society. Paul also told us in Romans 13 that government was given to us as an avenger, which is a Greek word that literally means one who executes right and justice by punishing evil and bringing about what is good. An avenger rectifies wrong done to another. Under God's definition, governing authority is not just the highest office in the land, but all offices in the land whose job is to serve for good by executing justice. In our context, governing authority refers to everyone from the President of the United States all the way down to our local law enforcement community and those who serve our criminal justice system. So as we read all the passages in the New Testament that describe the way we are to relate to our governing authorities, four words stand out that I'm going to unpack today one by one. And I, and I pray that it is going to help you begin to process this. And then at the end, I'm going to deal with some exceptions to the rule. Um, so listen throughout. Don't just cut me off and say, uh, well, I don't agree with that. Let me, let me get through the thoughts and, and hear me out till the end. Um, this is a sticky issue. This is a hard issue to work through. I'm not telling you that I'm right in every single way, but I'm approaching this the best I can from the biblical uh, concepts here. Uh, it's okay if you disagree with every point that I have, but at least know why you disagree. Uh, at least have a biblical backing on why you disagree with what I have to say today. Okay, so let's unpack some of these words, four key words that are throughout uh, these passages. I just read the main passage uh, in Romans, but there are other passages that we will point out. Number one, we're called to pray for our leaders. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3. Uh, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Someone might say, well, Pastor Dwayne, we don't have a king, 
So I guess this passage does not relate to us as Americans. But the word for king here is a Greek word that refers to the one who rules as the uh, uh, possessor of the highest office in the land. Um, you know who our king is in this context. It's our president. Paul is pleading with God's people here to pray for our kings and everyone who is in authority over us. In fact, he just doesn't urge us to pray for our governing, governing authorities. He says, first of all, to pray for them. That's the first thing we need to do. We don't need to... The first thing we need to do is not to complain. Uh, whether you like President Trump or not, our first duty as a Christian is to pray for him. Is to pray that God would bless him, help him, give him wisdom to lead correctly. That is our duty according to Paul. And according to the Holy Spirit who inspired him to pen these words, we are to pray for our president. We're to pray for those in authority uh, over us in civil government. Not only that, Paul writes that we are to do this so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Through these verses, God is saying that there is a direct relationship between praying for our governing authorities and the lives that we enjoy as citizens. Uh, A.W. Tozer put it this way, We cannot pray in love and live in hate and still think we are worshiping God. What he means and what scripture is explaining is that we cannot pray for the leaders we like who share our views and spew hate toward the ones we don't. We need to pray for our governing officials, all of them, regardless of uh, their party or platform, we are to pray for them. There are political leaders that I would stand against 100% their platform. Uh, I'll go ahead and tell you, any politician that stands on a platform that says it is okay to kill babies, I do not agree with. Anyone that, not only uh, abortion, but late-term abortion, and then even infanticide, that believes that a baby should be able to be killed even after it has been born, after that child has been born, that human being has been born. I stand in absolute opposition to that platform. I stand in absolute opposition to that party who would proclaim and spew such things. But I also understand that God's command is that I am to pray for them. One of the ways I pray is that God would open their eyes to see the truth. That they would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they would see how horrible that act of abortion is. 
I pray God would give them wisdom. I don't personally hate them. I hate that ideology. But I battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So I pray for those leaders, even the ones I absolutely disagree with. Number two, the second word, submit. Oh, we don't like this word very much in, in America. Oh, it's not a very American word, uh, but it is very much a biblical word. It's a Christian word. If I'm a Christian before I am an American, then submit needs to be a part of my vocabulary. Every text in the New Testament that addresses our relationship to government, civil government, including Romans, 1 Peter, and Titus, uses the word submit to describe how we are to behave in relation to our authorities. The word submit or subjection, as it is used in Romans 13, means to willingly place oneself under the authority of another. In essence, I am saying I am willing to place myself under governing authorities as God's design and obey the laws of my country, state, county, and city. As long as they do not contradict clear biblical teachings. To disobey governing authorities on anything that they establish that is not a direct um, contradiction or one that would cause us to obey the higher authority, which we will get into in a, a little bit in this podcast, then I am to obey them according to the Bible. And to disobey them is to disobey God himself, who established that authority. That's why Peter, when he was writing, said, For such is the will of God for you. It is the will of God for you to obey your civil authorities, your civil government, when they are not uh, creating laws that would cause you to live out a life that would be in direct contradiction to God's authority, his word. When I submit to governing authorities based on God's word, I'm ultimately submitting to God and his design of authority. There's this hierarchical system um, within God's um, sphere of rule of course, God is the ultimate ruler. We have family. We have church. We have civil authorities. These, these different layers of um, authorities that are over us that God established. And one of those is our civil government. And it is a part of God's design that we obey that civil government. It's part of his design. And to obey our civil government is to obey God. I'm saying that God, when I live this out, I'm saying 
God, I believe the king's heart is like channels of water in the Lord's hand. You turn it whichever way you wish. I'm going to submit to governing authority unless it violates clearly your word when I like it and when I don't like it. Trusting that you know what's best and will change them as they need to be changed. So the third word, another hard word for us as Americans to understand honor honor number three honor the passage in first peter uh, chapter 2 and romans 13 uh, which i referenced above used the word honor it describes a continuous action of esteeming the office as an authority which is established by god we hear a lot as Americans about honoring the office when it comes to presidents and other officials. This is not an act of patriotism. For the believer, it's not just an act of patriotism. It's an act of Christ-likeness. The Bible says we are to constantly honor those uh, who have a uh, positions of authority within, over us within civil government. The Bible says we are to constantly honor the positions of governing authority on both sides of the aisle, no matter what their political um, affiliation is. I think this is where Christians do the greatest harm today. We often apply and obey Romans 13 when the candidate in question is one we love. But when it's not our person in leadership, whatever side that it is, we can spew venom that is wicked and ungodly. You know, I've seen this recently, and I continue to see it on social media. Um, using derogatory terms uh, for our political leaders, no matter what stances they take, um, is not Christ-likeness. To get on uh, social media and berate um, political figures is not Christ-likeness. To get on social media and use ad homonyms to attack people's personages and their not their ideologies is unchristlike. Now, if you want to deal with their political stances and why you disagree with those political stances, uh, that's one thing. But to get on there and dispute hate and dispute um, venom and vitriol towards these individuals. I've heard people talk about political figures and how they hope they die. And then in the next post, they talk about how much they love Jesus. That is not Christ-likeness. And that is not obeying the scriptures that the, that the apostles have given us under inspiration of the Spirit of God. This is God's very word. And he says we are to submit. We are to honor them. 
that doesn't mean we agree with everything they say. And because we live in the freest nation in the world does not give us the right as Christians to spew this hate towards individuals that are in civil government. That is not Christ-likeness. And I call my fellow Christians to repentance on this. If you have spewed that hate, that vitriol, and that venom, please understand that that is not in obedience to God's word. And because I love you, and I love your testimony before the world, I want you to keep that testimony clean and pure so when you share the love of Jesus Christ, people know you actually love them. So I call you to repent and to obey God's word here. Honoring the office um, is a matter of Christ's likeness again and following the word of God. It speaks to our attitudes. The word submit speaks to our action. The word honor speaks to our attitude towards those offices. Parents know the difference. We can ask our children to take the garbage out and they can respond with joy or with a begrudging attitude. Well, I'll do it but I don't like it. Both are acts of submitting, but only one is an act of honoring the parents and their authority. The last word we're going to deal with, number four, influence. Titus 3, uh, 1 and 2 states, quote, remind them to be subject there goes that word subject or submit again to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. What does Paul mean hereby to be ready for every good deed? It means that within the context of submitting and honoring, I'm to live my life looking for the opportunity to be an influencer, even toward my governing authorities, for that which is good. Honoring and submitting does not mean we cannot be agents of change within our culture and participate in our civil responsibilities. We are actually called to do so. Here's the key as we seek to do this. We must influence our culture, remembering that we are first and foremost followers of Jesus Christ. As such, our involvement must not be driven by the values of a particular political party, but by the absolute truth of God as revealed in the Bible. In looking for opportunities to influence, we need to do so with the right spirit. 
Paul points out character qualities in Titus 3.2. The first one is malign no one, which means we don't attack or hurt the reputation of another with your words. What I just spoke about a few moments ago, getting on social media and maligning and spewing venom and vitriol towards individuals that we disagree with is not obedience to the word of God. It says malign no one. If we obeyed that, politics in America would change. Period. As Christ followers, we are not to speak evil of anyone. It's a violation of the word of God when we do no matter what side we are on. Paul also says we're to be peaceable or translated from the Greek without battle. We're to pray, submit, honor, and influence. All this without looking for a fight. Um, some, when we talk about politics and we talk about different platforms, different political parties hold to. Some are not looking to have a peaceable discussion. Some are looking for nothing more than a fight, nothing more than an argument. And we are not to live that way. One of, now, by training, I am a Christian apologist. And a lot of Christians who start out in doing apologetics, what happens is, is they want to live or argue and not really uh, share. Uh, what I mean by that is Peter commands us in the word where we get apologetics, uh, apologia, um, which means to give a defense Peter tells us to do this in gentleness and respect. Now, we can't do this in gentleness and respect if all we're doing is arguing and fighting with an individual about our point of view. The same is true if we're discussing politics. All we're trying to do is win an argument. Well, if all we're trying to do is win an argument, how can we ever win the person to see our point of view? We do this peaceably. We do it with gentleness and respect. Not looking for a fight or looking just to argue with someone we disagree with. That is not Christ-likeness. Again, this would change politics if all of us followed God's word in this. Finally, Paul said we are to be gentle and show every consideration for all men. This means giving others the benefit of the doubt and demonstrating genuine concern for the people affected. The bottom line from God's word is that our mission is to expand the kingdom of God. If we're not careful, we can become more passionate about the laws that govern this life than we are about preparing men and women for the life that is to 
come. Our mission is not to go into all the world and to legislate. Our mission as Christians is to go into all the world and preach and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So don't allow what is not our mission to become the stumbling block that keeps us from accomplishing that which is our mission, which is to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen. Well, now let's get into a little bit of the stickiness of these truths that I've shared. And I briefly mentioned a little bit. What if governing authorities violate God's word? How should we respond then? Well, Scripture is clear, I believe, and consistent here in the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel, Peter, John, Paul, Silas, and many others, their response was, we must obey God rather than men. But the way they did this is of importance to us today. They did it, first of all, humbly. Scripture demonstrates in all these examples that when asked to obey a governing authority in contradiction to the authority of God, His Word, you are to humbly choose to submit to a higher authority. Remember, this: there's this hierarchical uh, system, uh, design of God. God sits in absolute authority. His authority, remember, His throne is above every throne. His kingdom is above every kingdom. His rule is above every rule. For Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is king over every other authority in the world. His rule is over every other rule in the world. And we are first and foremost to submit to His authority. For His authority is the highest authority. But when we have to disobey civil authorities because they contradict God's word, we should do this humbly. Because you'll notice in, in reading the different stories about when these men did not submit to their local authorities, they were never... Uh, militant or aggressive in their disobedience to civil or government. Um, they also obey God with a willingness to accept graciously whatever the consequences of their stance might be. For example, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in the, the uh, fiery furnace and God protected them. Daniel was thrown in a lion's den. He willingly went into that lion's den, trusting God. Peter, thrown into prison. John, thrown into prison and beaten. Paul and Silas in prison, praising God in the middle of being in prison together. They graciously accepted whatever the consequences they face for disobeying civil authorities. But we don't just see this in 
the scriptures. We see this throughout church history as well. Uh, Martin Luther starting his Reformation was disobeying um, different hierarchical systems within God's design. He was disobeying church law, the the Catholic Church uh, law, and he was disobeying uh, civil government at times with his proclamations. Um, and got into trouble at times. God spared his life and he was able to have a fruitful ministry and I am thankful for him and his reformation. I think about John Calvin. Uh, he was run out of the city of Geneva several times and was able to come back and establish his ministry there. Uh, many of these men were in direct opposition to laws because they believed they were in direct opposition to the scriptures. Now, they were not militant or aggressive in the sense of trying to overthrow their civil governments or anything like that. They humbly submitted to God's word and were willing to take whatever consequences they had to face in light of obeying God's word. And this is the principle we are to live by. Wherever our civil governments command us to do something that is not in direct opposition to the scriptures, we are to obey them. But where they t tell us to disobey God's word, we are to submit to the higher authority, which is God's word, and be willing to take whatever consequences come our way in light of that. I think about in modern day times, I think about Chinese believers who meet together, which is in direct opposition to many of the, the government's laws. They meet together to worship and to fellowship as commanded by God in his word to assemble together to worship Jesus Christ and to grow in their faith as a community of believers. And oftentimes, uh, these believers are arrested and thrown into prison for their stance. They are humbly submitting to God in disobedience to their government because of God's higher authority. But they are yet willing to face whatever comes their way because of their obedience to God's word. This is how the believer is to live in society I hope this has helped you today to think through some of these things um, that we're facing today I believe the government's going to become increasingly more um, antagonistic against the church and we're going to have to measure um, their uh, legislation against God's word eventually and to determine if they are asking us to do things that are in direct opposition to God's word and then how we are to live that out it's going to be key uh, in the future so I hope that this can give you a, a biblical frame to be able to process 
as that comes, to be able to process how we are to think through these things and to um, stand on God's word. So I urge you to pray daily for our governing authorities and seek God through his word to embrace the all-encompassing truths that above all else, who you are is who you are in Christ Jesus. And the spirit of what Mordecai counseled his cousin Esther in Esther 4. Who knows but that we are planted here in the midst of this great country for such a time as this. God bless and theology matters.